Let's open in prayer. God, we're grateful to be your children. Help us to understand your scriptures well. Be with those that are traveling. Be with those that are traveling to church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, um, I have a little bit of time, and so I wanted to go backwards, to go forwards. Um, we sing. We try to be a singing church. We work on our singing. We sing before Sunday school. Um, I guess I'll just give you the answer. Singing is in heaven. It's one of the things that we know are eternal. God rejoices over his people with singing. Singing is a theme throughout scripture. It's hard to be a, um, a Christian and not, not appreciate the singing. So it's, uh, it's great when we teach our children how to play musical instruments, teach our children how to sing, even when we're older, that we didn't grow up singing our parts, and um, that we can, we can continue to learn in singing. So what is today called? Reformation Sunday, that's right. What do we know about Reformation Sunday? Who can tell us what year um, we go back to the Reformation on? Yes, dear. Shout it loudly so everybody can hear. When Jesus was what? There. Jesus was there, but the main character of the Reformation was a man named, does anybody know? Yes? Martin Luther, there you go. What year did he become famous, which is considered the founding? It's hard to put exact date on the founding of Reformation. You gotta, okay, I'm gonna ask a different question in a second. What, what um, it's hard to put the exact date on it, but the day in which he nailed 95 theses, or thoughts to be discussed, on the church door, and it wasn't done out of anger at all. Sometimes you'll see posters like, like he's pounding a nail. It was the poster board. You go to any college town, and there's, on light poles, there's stickers everywhere, lost dog, uh, work wanted, all that. That was the meeting. That was where people put, put their announcements. So we know the answer to the question what year it was, because I saw the tallest hand in the front. But what I'm gonna ask you, a different question. What is the passcode to get the wine out of the safe? Yes. 1517. What is the date of Martin Luther pounding that thesis is in? Man, what a coincidence. 1517 for both. That is great. One of my favorite quotes of Martin Luther, this has nothing to do well, I guess it always has something to do. I was going to say it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But he that does not love wine, women, and song remains a fool his whole life long. Just a great, great, great quote. If I ever had the time to re write a book, it would be called Wine, Women, and Song. All right. So we are making our way through the Westminster Standards. And we go back and forth to the uh, Confession of Faith, the Larger Catechism, and the Shorter Catechism. And they kind of parallel each other as they go through. Um, but most of the time, we're, we're centering on the Westminster um, Larger Catechism. Um, and I've tried to emphasize, as I've taught on Sundays, that the, the themes kind of build on each other. 
the theme, they, they build on each other. It's just not haphazard. I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to talk about this. But there's a, an order to how they're written. And today, um, not, not, these are words aren't in the uh, confessions, but it centers around how can a guilty person stand before a righteous God? How can a guilty person stand before a righteous God? So if, what's the first people created in the Bible? Adam and Eve, right? And then they sin, and then what happens? They can no longer have union and communion with God the way they had it in the garden. Um, and so what happens? They cannot stand before a righteous God, so they are put out of the garden, and then there's guards that keep them from ever entering the garden. So we're on a section called Justification and Adoption. So I'm going to read the question and answers, um, and then we are going to have a discussion. I'm going to bring, bring a lot of things to your mind to think about. So actually, I'll, I'll, I'll pause before then. If, so how can, a, how, can a, how can a guilty person, and we're all guilty, we're all sons of Adam, how can a guilty person stand before a righteous God is if we're justified? Right? I want to connect those dots. And so what is the good news? What is the gospel message? It's that we're justified. Right? That's good news. Not only does he justify us, but he tells us how we should live as sons and daughters adopted by him. So we talk about apologetics, Christian evangelism, making disciples, all, all good things. What's the good news? Right. Keep it really simple. You guys ever heard the kiss, pr kiss principle? Kiss principle? Children, you should know the kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Right? So if the question is, how can a guilty person stand before righteous God? Right? What's the good news? God's made a pathway for you to stand before him. Right? Exactly what Mushter Bailey said. All right, I'm going to read the question. Uh, one more commentary, I guess. In the past, during the Puritan times, it, kids grew up, part of their education was reading, you know, rhetoric, arithmetic, all the standards. But catechisms used to be in the, in the, in the public schools. Catechisms were in the public schools. <clears throat> it was actually... R.L. Dabney, and some of you have read them, some of you probably haven't read them, but he predicted way back um, time of the um, war between the states, the Civil War, the America Revolution, um, and I say revolution during the time of the Civil War, I'm equating all those three terms the same, that um, he could see a day where uh, the Bible and catechisms would be taken out of the public schools. And we remember in the 60s when prayer was taken out of the public schools. Um, Scott and I are probably the only old enough ones that went to public schools where they might have had prayer. He was out east, so he might not have. But in, in rural Illinois, we had, public, we had prayer for a long time until somebody sued the district because it was taken out. Anyway, a number of tangents. But my point on the catechisms is that children used to memorize that. If you grew up in a Reformed church, or a Lutheran church, you went through catechism classes, 
And it was quite common where children had memorized the Luther Shorter Catechism or the Westminster Shorter Catechism um, by the time they were 13. Questions and answers for every one of them. And while we think that that's important at Christ Church, the church doesn't do that. We want the parents to catechize their children. We want to um, teach and preach the whole counsel of God, all of the Bible, understand the stories of the Bible, um, and and to do that. And then, when, so I really do encourage you guys to go through these catechisms. And it's not just the questions and answers; it's the scripture references associated with them. It's the definitions of what bearing false witness means when we get to the when we get to the, the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, how they fleshed a lot of that out. And these guys certainly were not inerrant. Um, certainly the catechisms are not inerrant, but they're very useful, very, very useful for our training and education. So what is, edu what is justification? What's the children's definition of justification before I read this? Maybe I was the only one that knows it. Just as if I had never sinned, right? God looks at me as just as I had never sinned. Justification. That's what I was taught when I was younger. Justification is an act of God's free speech unto sinners. Uh, it's always hard to give commentary as you go or commentary at the end. What does an act mean? Does an act a continuous or is that an act moment in time? What does the word act mean? Is it a moment in time? Or is it a continuous? Justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners. Moment in time or continuous? Yes, Quinn? It's continuous? Nope, it's an act of time. It's an act of time. And I break these things down because these things are important. And I don't ever mean to embarrass anybody because I, I get questions wrong all the time too. But it's an act in time. So when you were born, was it an act of time or was it continuous? It was an act of time. In fact, your parents will tell you that the minute you were born, if you ever want to remember it, right? When you got married, was it an act or is it a continuous? It was an act, right? Certain time, you have witnesses there. At, you got, your wedding started at 2 o'clock, right? 3 o'clock. When you joined the military, was it an act or continuous? It's an act. Joined the military at this time. Became a U.S. citizen at this time if you're from a different country. So justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners in which he pardons all their sins, accepteth and accounteth their persons, that is, their, they accept themselves righteous in his sight, not for anything wrought in them, not of anything that, that they bring to the table, or done by them, nothing we can do, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfa satisfaction of Christ by God imputed to them and received by faith alone. So it's an act of time, highlighting. There's nothing we do to justify ourselves. Nothing we do. Nothing means nothing is nothing. And then, um, one other thing I was going to mention, part of the sin is nothing we've done. Um, and then he imputes. What's the word impute mean? 
if you grew up Roman Catholic, you might have a different understanding, but what's imputed mean? He regards or he counts it. He counts it or regards it as satisfaction. It's a decision, it's imputed to us. Where the Roman Catholics have, um, um, uh, what do the Roman Catholics do? I actually wrote it down. It's an infused righteousness. It's an infused right righteousness versus an imputed righteousness. And most creeds are affirmations and denials. Most catechisms are affirmation and denials. What we believe and what we don't believe. So by stating what you believe, it implies what you don't believe. Also, most important word in here that I didn't highlight is grace. It's an act of God's free grace. Grace, 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 all of grace. How is, this is 71, how is justification an act of God's free grace? Although Christ, by his obedience and death, did not make a proper, real, and fully satisfaction to God's judgment on behalf of them that are justified, yet in as so much as God accepted the satisfaction with the surety that he might have demanded of them and did provide the surety, his only son, imputing his righteousness to them and requiring nothing of them for their justification but faith. And also, it is a gift. Their justification is to them a free gift of grace. I know these are older words. Older words sometimes are very precise. I was taking Jennifer to the airport today, which has nothing to do with this, but I'm saying we get lazy in our language. So she's gone to stopping putting the, the colon when she puts a text to time. Instead of 9 colon 07, she just does 907, right? It just saves a little bit of time. We get a little lazy in our language. Um, when, when, when Sabbath feast, we went through and talked about all the ways we can mis each, misunderstand each other with the English language, with the use of, of pronouns, or I'll meet you next Wednesday. What's, when's next Wednesday? Depending on where you grew up, it could be in three days, or it could be in 10 days. This Wednesday or next Wednesday, right? All the different ways. But this older language is much more precise. What is justifying faith? Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart by sinners, by the Spirit, and the Word of God. Is there a difference between the Word of God and the Spirit? Yeah. And, and, and just so you know, there is a difference. And also when you said it's an act... And, or it's continuous, remember, Quinn? Oftentimes the answer in scripture is yes, right? But you're justified at one point in time, right? But you don't fully understand it for a while. And it is, the spirit is totally different than the word of God, right? It is. But when someone says, God told me that I should go do this, and it's against scripture, God didn't tell him, right? Scripture reminds us of the word of God. So there's so many words that are slight differences, but oftentimes they're, they're very closely connected. Uh, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery, right? We're convinced of our sin and misery and of the disability in ourselves and all their creatures to recover out of our lost condition, not only ascends to the truth and the promise of the gospel, but receives and rested upon Christ and his righteousness therein held forth 
a pardon of sins. Right? Another way of saying God imputes it to us. We recognize that God imputes that to us. And for the acceptance and accounting of his person, righteous in the sight of God for salvation. How does faith, 73, how does faith justify a sinner in the sight of God? Faith justifies a sinner in the sight of God, not because of those other graces, which do always accompany it. God gives us lots of graces. Or of any good works that are the fruits of it, right? We want to show our, we want to bring something all the time to God. You know, look what I've done. Look, none of the fruit is the justification or any act there were imputed to him for his justification, but only as it is the instrument by which God revealeth and applieth Christ in his righteousness. I'll go back to adoption later. So what was the calling card by Martin Luther? What did he believe? Reformation Sunday. We are justified by faith alone. And every time I hear that, I go, yes and amen, and I want to say, no, that's not right. I want to say we're justified by grace through faith alone. Right? And I'll say this now, and I'll probably wrap up with it, but the great... Um, uh, the great thing that we want to remember at the end is that we are justified by faith alone. That's Galatians 2.16. But the faith that justifies is never alone. Right? What is always... What always accompanies the faith? Obedience. Obedience, Yeah. Yep, good works, obedience. Yep, and when I say good works and obedience, are they different? Yep, they're also the same, right? Um, because obedience, right, that's part of the gospel message. He justifies us, but he tells us how we should live, and we want to be obedient, right, to that. And the scripture reference for that would be James 2.26. So the only time, it's always ironic, the only time God in the, in the scripture says we're justified by faith alone he never does. He, it says we're justified not by faith alone. And that's James 2.26. And so the reconciliation of those two passages, I think, can be summarized. We are justified by, I want to add grace, justified by grace through faith alone. But that faith that justifies is never alone. It's always accompanied by the fruit. Often in our society, people finally just have that faith, but they don't need faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, so oftentimes you'll go into people's houses and they'll have faith, hope, and love, right? And you go, oh, they must be Christians. I always go in and say, what's the direct object? I'm, I'm speaking yes and amen to what Scott said. What's the direct object? Right? Love. We need love. What's the direct object? Faith, hope. Got to have hope. Hope. What's the direct object? Right. Christ, 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 Christ. Yeah, and so that's a good point. So I wanted to, the fancy word for some of this is called the order salutis. And we'll look at that a little bit because it's, 
depending on how you were brought up, depending on your, your tradition of understanding and learning items um, and, and or your understanding of Latin or not, what does order salutis mean? Basically the or order of your salvation. You go, wait a minute, I thought we just kind of went through that with the question and answer, or what's, what's the order of your salvation, right? So again, our church is covenantal. Our church is um, uh, um, reformed, Calvinistic. I don't like using any of those terms because you say those terms and people that have never read or understand, they don't fully understand what I mean by covenant. They don't fully understand what I mean by Calvin. They've never read Calvin. They don't fully understand what reform means. They have something in their mind that they're convinced, but they don't really understand, understand that. So where does justification fall in the order of salutis, right? Where does obedience fall in the order of salutis? Where does grace fall? Where does believing fall? fall? Where does obedience, where does hearing the word fall? Where does union, in, when, with, union with Christ happen? in the order salutis? When does adoption happen? We use all these terms, they're all in the Bible, right? All these terms are in the Bible. What comes first, what comes second? Covenant, right? How does covenant play in their role in that? How does our free will play a role in the order salutis? What is Christ as our mediator? Um, repentance, you go further. In America, we always say, believe and repent of your sins. How many times in scripture does we say believe and repent? And how many times does Jesus say repent and believe? The further east you go, um, Eastern European countries, um, missionaries in Africa, do they say believe and repent or do they say repent and believe? What, what's the order? What should it be? Who are you talking to? Again, we always have to go back to everything is of grace. Everything is of grace. When did you guys decide to be born? When did you decide to take your first breath? When did you decide to be born a Jenkins, a Bailey, a Hanson, a Sandal, a Rhodey? When did you guys decide to do that? Right? When did you decide to be born in America? When did you decide the color of your skin? What ethnicity, what tribe you're going to be a part of? Right? We're all descendants of Noah. What do we decide? Is there a time and act that happen? How does, um, how does election and predestination fall into all this? What's the timing of all this? Right? We're studying justification, but you can't study anything just, just by itself. You have to figure out how all this stuff fits together because it's all of grace, right? And it's all by God, right? Our next breath, even miracles, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but miracles. It's the silliest thing in the world we talk about miracles. Miracle is that this morning if you were up early, you saw the stars placed. Think of the miracle of that, right? A baby being born, a miracle. But now we just, we, we, we talk about miracles being something way extraordinary. You thought about your heart beating? That's a miracle. Your next breath's a miracle. God holds all this in his hand. And the more you understand these things and are more sensitive to it, you just see God's grace through everything. So back to justification. 
how can we reconcile, I'm just asking a bunch of questions and hopefully we'll land, but how can we reconcile that we're justified or adopted when we look in the mirror and we're more aware of our sin than, than how can we be justified? We're, we're sinners, right? And it's crazy because the longer I've been a Christian and hopefully I'm more sanctified and, and a better Christian as I've, as I've gone, and we're gonna study sanctification the, the next, next Sunday, but the more I'm aware of all my sin. When I was younger, I, I mean, I couldn't even think of sins necessarily to repent of. I mean, the, the categories were so limited, but the older I get, and the more I'm aware, just like miracles, right? The more I'm aware, the, the more I realize who I am. I'm a sinner, constantly mortifying sin. I get one sin mortif mortification just means killed, right? I slayed it. Just like Adam should do in the dragon, you know, when he entered the garden, kill it. He should have killed it. And we know what he should have done, right? Because we know what, scripture doesn't say what he should have done, but we know what Adam should have done because we know the story of Jesus, right? He should have tried to kill the dragon and died trying, right? Died trying. Or Adam should have said, take my life for hers, right? So that's what we need to do with our sin. But we need to be aware of our sins on all these things. So when we're justified and we see our sin in our lives, how do we reconcile that? Jesus justifies us once. It is an act. But when we're recognizing our sin, right, and we're asking for forgiveness, acknowledging our sin throughout our whole life, every day, every moment, right, in um, how I reconcile um, um, I, I don't mean to ever step on toes, but at the Billy Graham conferences, Billy Graham used to say that the same people come to every conference, they all come forward every time. Or rededicate, rededicate your life to God. I mean, you hear that in a lot of Baptist circles, right? Dan shaking his head because he grew up Baptist in the South. I'm rededicating. Where's this idea of dedication in the Bible? Well, for that matter, if I want to step on toes, in the Baptist circles, you dedicate a child. Right? Are there dedications in the Bible? Yeah, but they're not what they think they, they mean, right? We, we, we give our own different definition to that. But when we're rededicating our life, it's every moment of every day, you're acknowledging your sin, you're confessing your sin, and you're saying, God, help me to slay this dragon, right? Help me to slay this sin, and um, help me to trust and obey, help me to put off and put on. And a lot of these concepts are really the same in the practical, but they're slightly different definitions. But when we talk about putting off and putting on sin, what passage do we think of? Ephesians 4, when the thief is stealing, he should stop stealing. What, that's, not, that's behavioral modification if you stop there. That's what, a lot of, that's what a lot of Christian counselors or psychologists will say, right? So stop your sinning. Do we want to stop your sinning? Look in the mirror. I'm a piece of work. I, I'm a sinner. I want to stop my sin. Yep, that's right. Mission accomplished? No. What do, I, what do you need to do? What's repentance mean? Yeah, repentance is 180. So if I'm walking this direction, right, I stop. Well, that's not repentance. That, that, that's an acknowledgement of my sin. But what do I have to do? Walk the right way. And so when the thief is stealing, he stops stealing, what does he need to do? Get a job, 
get a job. Yeah, provide for himself, get a job, take care of his own needs. And what did you say? Restitution, pay back what he stole. And does the story end there? What's the last step? Give money to the poor. So instead of taking, he's giving. That's the repentance part. It's not stopping the sin. It's not just getting a job. It's just not paying back what he stole. I mean, that's all right and good and need to do that it has to be done in that order but then he's giving money to the poor so instead of taking he's giving oh that clock's wrong i can't look at that clock it says it's i was looking at the the big hand and not the small hand so it, I'll, I'll still finish on time so repentance can you have faith without repentance Can you have faith without repentance? Some question eyes, Shem shaking their heads. You cannot. Cannot have faith without repentance. Cannot have faith without repentance. When I grew up, some of these stories, you know, make, it's funny, I used to tell my kids things over and over again, and I think, oh, I'm sure I told, oh, we'd love to hear it again, Dad. But uh, you might not love to hear it. But I grew up near Wheaton College um, in the 70s and went to all their basketball camps, and, and so I was immersed within Wheaton. Wheaton, which is, I pick on Wheaton because it's like, at the time, it was probably the Sebastian of the, the, the apex, the peak of Christian colleges, right? Um, but at the time in the 70s, is Jesus Christ is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. That was a big theology going through um, in the 70s. Can Jesus be your Savior and not your Lord? Right. He can't be, right? But how many times in our everyday lives do we act that way? I mean, we'd have more respect for the king of England or if we were living in Africa, a king in Africa or someplace, and we'd call him Lord, right? We'd, we'd, we'd do what they say, but, but how hard do we, you know, I, we can go through this repentance and go through, give it to the poor, but how oftentimes are we just content to just acknowledge our sin and not work hard to repent, to obey? Again, the gospel message is you're saved, then here's how you should live, Right? Here's how you should live. Act, talk, and walk as adopted children. So adoption is the other part. I won't read it. But when you're adopted, what comes with adoption? Here's how we do things. Justin and Morgan are adopting Jaden. Did adopt Jaden. Jaden, um, rejoicing. Um, and so are, are they going to raise her as the biological parents would have raised Jaden? I mean, I, well, I got a picture when they signed. At that time, that was an act. Jaden became theirs, right? So how are they going to raise Jaden? As theirs. As theirs. What's the good news in that? They're going to tell Jaden how to live, right? Here's what we do. Are they going to think of Jaden? When they baptize Jaden, are they going to, when we baptize a child, wh what do we say? We, we begin to treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? That's how we look at them, brothers and sisters in Christ. This little helpless baby who can't feed herself is a NICU for three weeks, has to have, you know, bur you know, you know breathing tubes and all, all that stuff. Right? You go, oh, yeah. Hmm. That's how we are before God. Sins marred us beyond, beyond anything we can imagine. 
compared to how we were created in the image of God, and then sin, where we can't even be connected with God, right? Right? We can't have union and communion with God anymore because of our sin. We're like totally messed up. I mean, totally disfigured, totally helpless, right? Beggarly. But God says you're mine, right? And then he tells us how we should live, and he helps to sanctify us. And at the end of the day, what's the, well, it's, it's preservation of the saints, and what does Arnie always try to correct it to? And preservation of the saints is just fine. I mean, it's how can I argue with the great reformers? Preservation or perseverance of the saints. What, excuse me, I got it wrong when I was articulating it. Is it preservation of the saints or perseverance of the saints? That's the typical. I always want to correct it to God preserves those. Yeah. So the pres I got it wrong when I was using the illustration. And there's nothing wrong with um, uh, perseverance of the saints. We do need to persevere, right? But God preserves his saints. Once it's in God's hand, nothing can pluck it out. I think it's in John, First John. Yeah? Yeah, so did everybody hear what she said? It's, it's yes and amen, so let's, let's go down that rabbit trail because it's not in my notes and it's really worth talking. What role does the Holy Spirit play in this whole process? Let me go, let me go backwards further. Got to keep on my time on my computer. So if you're, if you're in the broad brush evangelical church, Protestant church, of the, of the Trinity, which, which part of the Trinity, which person of the Trinity do we emphasize? Jesus. If you're, if you're um, Pentecostal, right, which part of the Trinity, which person of the Trinity, excuse me, do you emphasize? Holy Spirit. If you're in a mainline church, Roman Catholic, Anglican, um, depending on what strand of Lutheranism, which person of the Trinity do you emphasize? God the Father, right? Yep. And, and, and we, we don't ever want to be modalists. Right? We want to see them working together. That's why with little children, um, by the time they're three, maybe they know a difference between mom and the dad, but they, they see them as the same person, right? When they're really young. And we need to see, we see, need to see the three, the three people in the Godhead as one. And we want to decouple them all the time. So with that said, as an introduction, Stephanie said, the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's job? Yeah, convict us of sin, be our conscience, you can say, convict us of our sin, right? And can, can, we, can we push away the job of the Holy Spirit? How do we push away the Holy Spirit's job? By just rejecting every time he gives us a reminder. You look at any kid when they do something wrong, they're looking like this, because my mom or dad see me, but after a while, they just ignore all that. They just kill their conscience. So one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, or a big job of the Holy Spirit, is or the job of the Holy Spirit, is to convict us of our sins, right? He, he, remind, he, he illuminates the word to us when we read the Bible. 
helps us to understand. I mean, it's like you can read the same passage your whole life. I'm 62. I can read the passage my whole life, and I said, oh, wow, I've never seen that in there before. And, and you think, that's crazy. But how many times do you drive the car, and all of a sudden, man, I never saw that bush over there. That's beautiful. And you've been on that road a thousand times. Yep. Did I accentuate your point? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He gives you the power. So when we, when we pray, and I'm lazy in this sometimes too, um, and this is a tangent off of justification too. When we pray, who do we pray to? God the Father. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, dear Jesus. No, we don't pray to Jesus. Jesus is the mediator, right? You pray to God the Father, right? By the power of Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. But, and again, it's a, it's, it's a fine prayer, and I don't mean to be persnickety, but we do need to practice good habits. We pray to God the Father in the name of the Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. But a lot of people will pray, Dear Jesus, in your name, right? It, it, and we need, to, we need to think of these things because they all have different duties and responsibilities. And we've got to remember that Jesus was 100% submissive to God the Father. 100% submissive. And, and he's our elder brother. So what does that mean to us? We're justified. We're adopted. Right? God's our father. We should expect to suffer and die. Same as Jesus. Why do we think we should get treated differently? We're part of the family. Right? So order salutis. I'll just... Um, which comes first, predestination or election? We've talked about these already in the catechisms. Predestination or election? What's predestination mean? Predetermines everything. God predetermines everything before the foundations of the earth. What's election? He chooses. The wheat separates the sheep from the goats, the, you know, wheat and chaff. He separates. He elects. And, and oftentimes you'll hear, well, my God wouldn't do that. When you're talking to somebody, my God wouldn't do that. That's not fair. Calling. When does God call us? Every Sunday. That's true too. It's it's yes. He, he yeah, yeah. Um, you can. You know, when is justification? When is baptism? When is covenant? When is obedience? All these different terms that I talked about earlier. Predestination, election, calling, regeneration. Which happens first, justification or regeneration? Or is it the same thing? Faith. Repentance. Justification. Adoption. Sanctification. Perseverance and glorification. What's glorification, by the way? At the, at the end of our lives, what happens? So... We die, right? We want to give an inheritance to our children. Again, God, God babbles to us. Like with, like with little Jaden or little baby, little do baby talk. We can't, can't hear you, can't understand it, but see it like baby talk. That's what God does to us. God does that to us. And God calls us, we have an inheritance with him. And we want to, and he tells us is, 
image bearers, it's a good thing for us to pass on an inheritance to ours. But what's our inheritance? What do we have to look forward to when we die? What's our inheritance? New creation? Eternity with the Father? Union and communion with Father forever. Sorry? New body, no sin. Yeah, we have lots of good inheritance, inheritances. So if you're, if you're um, reformed or Calvinistic in, in your, and I don't get too persnickety at all about all these orders, but order salutis, and there's been reformed people that have taken exception to it, and Andrew is in seminary and teaches at a seminary, and so he, he knows this stuff better and backwards and forwards than I do, but it's predestination, election, calling, regeneration, faith, repentance, justification, which I always find is interesting that justification is below faith and repentance, and then adoption. I get the adoption part, um, but a lot of these things are so simultaneously, messed up that word, that it's hard to create distinctions between them. But it's easy to say that um, at our, we are born, at our baptism, uh, we're part of the covenant. We're, we don't know when we're justified, right? We don't know if that child that the baptized is justified. That is, his name's written in the book of life. So justification is an act. Their name is written in the book of life, right? Um, and, and you need to expect good works to follow. You need to expect the, the fruits. Because we all know trees by their fruit. And all, all promises, promise of this that God lays out to us, are, are received by, all promises are received by faith. That's right. All promises. And who gives us the faith? Who gives us the faith? Yes? That's right. God gives, us, God gives us grace. He justifies us. He gives us the faith to believe it. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us to mortify our sin. Gives us a conscience. Helps us to mortify our sin. Reveals the word of God and how we, sh how we should live. All these things are, are, are distinctive, but all tightly, tightly connected. But right now, it is time to quit. So I want to go through... Two more things. There, there, um, N.T. Wright is an author and tried to reconcile uh, Paul and James, and there's been other pro professors and thinkers that have tried to always rec reconcile um, Paul and James. But a, a good way to, to do it is we are justified by grace through faith alone, but the faith that justifies is... is never alone right and and it never alone means there's works obedience and what what's the fruit they're not 13 fruits it's one fruit right what's the fruit of the spirit right memorize the fruit of the spirit and the, that should be reflected in your life and when you see those reflected in your life that means you're growing in sanctification right when you want to obey the 10 commandments that means you're growing in your sanctification. So adoption, when we're justified, we're adopted, and it's an act of God, right? Not a work of God. That's continuous. It's an act of God. It's permanent. It's permanent. John 10, 29, I wrote it down. No one can t take you out of your, pluck you out of your hand. And that we, we learn 
and grow in our, in our, through our sanctification and trusting and obeying God. So justification, can you know, one more thought, can you know if you're saved or not? Some people say, well, I just don't know. I mean, I believe all this stuff, but I, I just can't know if I'm saved or not. That, the, the, you can have assurance of your salvation. You can have assurance, and, and the Holy Spirit will give that to you. And you've got to trust in that. So, all right, let's close in prayer. God, thank you for your scripture, how it's clear. But yet, oftentimes, we don't understand it. Thank you for um, men of old that have analyzed it, tried to help bring clarity to it. Even thank you for old words that are sometimes difficult to understand, but more precise in our language. Help us to be precise in our language as we communicate to each other. But mostly, give us hearts that are circumcised, hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. Help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to desire the things that you have for us, to desire to be more your image bearers and to be thankful that we are members of Christ Church and can learn and grow each day as we're seeking to mortify our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.